Hi there, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kojima again. Great to have you with us today, and we've got another special treat for you. We just had a nice long chat with our favorite macroeconomics Asia-Pacific specialist, Dan Gallucci, editor, writer, analyst, researcher, until recently for the Financial Times, but now a freelancer. Now, if you'll recall, he joined us on the podcast a few months back, just as the COVID situation started, to give us his views on the general as well as country-specific economic climate in the Asia-Pacific region. Well, today's back to give us an update of how things are looking in light of the lingering pandemic, but also with some exciting personal news. So here he is once again on the Japan Real Estate Podcast, our conversation with Mr. Dan Gallucci. Hi, Dan. Welcome back to the podcast, mate. Thrilled to have you with us today. Hi, Sid. Yeah, great to be back. So before we start um, talking regional economy and trade and all the rest of the um, good but boring stuff, you got some exciting news I hear. Sounds like we're going to see a lot more of you here in Japan. Is that right? Yes, indeed. The big news is I just got married recently um, oh, wow. to a wonderful Japanese woman. Oh. And yeah, we're settling here in Japan for the foreseeable future, at least. Oh, that's wonderful news, mate. Congratulations. So you're now essentially um, a freelancer, right? What kind of work do you do these days? What kind of clients? Um, let's say if any of our listeners might be able to benefit from your services, who, who would you be targeting at this point? Sure. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to self-promote a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been working independently for <clears throat> about one year now, after uh, about seven years in a research unit at the Financial Times. Um, I have a couple of different clients, uh, we can kind of call it a, a portfolio career, you know, rather than a freelancing one, sounds better. Mm. Um, my work kind of ranges from research and writing that connects to my background in Southeast Asia to technical editing. Um, one of my big clients now is an energy think tank um, and to consulting projects, kind of white paper stuff. I just had a, a big project come in that's going to be looking at ASEAN countries and, and others. Okay, that's fantastic. So we'll include a link to your LinkedIn profile as well in this episode's show notes for anyone who may wish to contact you um, to discuss potential work or anything that we're going to discuss here today. Okay, so getting down to business, when we last spoke, which was back in March this year, about eight months ago or so. Um, I thought it feels about 10 years ago. It does, doesn't it? And, and, and that, that's what I wanted to say. Like the COVID situation was just becoming a serious issue worldwide, um, mainly in Asia at that time and a little bit of Europe, in Europe. But uh, we were having a long chat on all things related to regional macroeconomics and we touched upon the pandemic, but that was mainly to say just that we don't know what's happening, right? These are uncharted waters, um, may turn things on their head, may, you know, just blow over quick. We really just didn't know to what extent things were going to happen. So for us, it was kind of a side topic when we spoke, but now, seven, eight months later, it's a very different situation, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Where to even start? The last time we were still talking about the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> God. Well, uh, it's safe to say that no country has avoided significant economic damage, um, and we won't know official full-year GDP numbers since we're still in November for a couple of months, but... Um, you know, if we look at the latest IMF outlook, or World Bank is similar, others are similar, um, which are, the IMF is from October, others are from September or so, um, you know, we're towards the end of the year, so these are not going to be far off base, um, they're going to be pretty accurate. Um, the IMF predicts that the entire global economy will shrink 4.4% this year, yeah. which is 
remarkable. This, we haven't seen this kind of a, a drop-off globally in a long time, a very long time. And uh, it's worth pointing out that that is actually over a 7% deceleration versus last year's growth rate, which was 2.8%. So, I mean, that's a big enough figure on its own that the economy is shrinking, but you, you actually want to really think, well, where was it and where is it going to be? So we're talking a, a seven-point change, which is massive. And in Asia, that seven points is about the same, um, although the contraction is less because we're moving from 4.6% uh, growth last year to a 2.2% contraction this year. That's Asia-wide. Um, of course, that varies by country. Right. Now, um, looking at these kind of really macro numbers, it's worth noting a few things. Uh, on the one hand, numbers like this from the IMF and elsewhere will be based on existing data at the time. And then they won't yet factor in things that are, you know, that we see changing, but that are a couple of months newer than the data. So, for example, right now, the big news is, on the one hand, we see the caseload, uh, the coronavirus caseload spiking in the U.S. and Europe. And it looks like the global recovery could be much further away you know, based on that. But on the other hand, um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've had two big stories come out on um, vaccine breakthroughs, one with 90% right effectiveness and the other with 95%. That just came out yesterday yep. or the day before, uh, which is wonderful news. So yeah, caseload-wise, things are getting much worse, but vaccine-wise, things are looking up. So we really still don't know how long this is going to drag out for, and these kinds of projections predate these sorts of developments. That's the point. Right. Um, and then also, we should note that Country by country, this will vary, but contractions this year, or maybe they'll extend into next year, but when the contractions end, there will generally be faster rebound growth following that, which will make up for some of the loss, definitely not all of it, but for some of the loss. So when you look at uh, what's falling off this year, it looks really bad, and it is bad, but some of that will kind of be made up for by extra growth hopefully next year or the year after. Okay. And oh, sorry, I was just going to finish. Yeah. Of course, um, you know, come, some countries are going to fare much worse than, than others. That, that was going to be my question. So places like um, Thailand, say, which depends a lot on tourism where you've lived for many years, um, they'd be affected far more than other countries, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thailand is actually one of the, the worst affected economies in Asia. Uh, largely for this reason, in, in Thailand's case, um, the IMF has it shrinking its economy shrinking 7.1 percent <clears throat> this wow. year. So that's about a 10 percent shift versus last year. Um, that's third worst in all of Asia. Um, some of the other projections are even worse than that. I think the Asia Development Bank has it at an 8 percent decline this year. Um, it's worth noting that this is kind of exceptional as far as the tourism goes, because in recent years Thailand has, uh, if you can believe it, become number four in the world. It for, felt like it last time I was there. <laughs> yeah, if you've, if you've been here recently, maybe you can believe it, mm. um, for foreign tourism earnings. Uh, not for passenger numbers, but for the earnings. And it's incredible. That beats countries like Italy and the UK and, and challenges France, mm. um, which is really stunning to me. Um, Thailand's a wonderful place to visit, but it's hard to, to believe that it's bringing in as much money as somewhere like France. Um, but then if you look at the other worst performers, um, India, the Philippines, they may be even, even worse, 10% um, 
drop for India, uh, according to the, the IMF projections. Wow. Uh, these countries actually don't rely very much on foreign tourism. So it, it, the dynamics are different. Um, and Japan, too, we may as well mention, uh, is taking quite a bad hit. Uh, GDP is supposed to fall 5.3% this year, which is quite a lot for a developed, slow-growing economy. Mm. And then only rebound with 2.3% growth next year. We hope. Yeah, we hope, exactly. And 2.3% is good for Japan normally. But again, this goes back to the, the rebound uh, dynamics I was mentioning earlier. We will see, hopefully, catch-up growth happening, but it, it won't be making up for the losses. Um, and in Japan, tourism also isn't, well, I should say foreign tourism isn't, is also a, not a big part of the economy. Domestic tourism is more important, but that hasn't actually dropped off all the way since Japan never completely locked down and there's been this go-to-travel campaign. You don't... I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what the totals are like uh, compared to last year, but it's still reasonably active. So that's, the point is that's not what's driving Japan's uh, economic decline well, this year. It's not driving the economy, but don't get me started on what this uh, go-to-travel has done for, uh, for the corona spread. But okay, okay, so that aside... Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not only tourism. I mean, obviously, if, if you're saying Japan has been that much affected, I mean, aside from obvious related sectors, say like hospitality, restaurants, bars, cafes, etc., uh, what other major changes are, are causing this? Uh, are you seeing different things in different countries? How, how does it play out? Well, it's a bit difficult to generalize. Um, you know, the, looking at cases as different as exactly Thailand and Japan and India, but the biggest overall factor to sort of state the obvious would be the general slowdown in consumer and business spending. So this will vary by country, um, the extent of it, um, and, and how much it's due to, let's say, lack of confidence in the economy versus more the direct effect of lockdown measures, making it hard to spend money, hard to travel, um, hard to go shopping, or just taking the, the fun out of all of that. But when households and companies slow down spending, it's going to have a, a domino effect and, and a bad one. Mm. Then it's also uh, important how export-driven an economy is um, in terms of exports of goods. Well, services too, but services includes tourism and a lot of different dynamics. Um, but how export-driven the economy is um, will generally make it more sensitive to weaker global demand, but yet again, exceptions. Uh, this depends on just what it's exporting. Um, Vietnam is one of the interesting sort of, well, I was going to say winners, relative winners is a better way mm. to put it because it's still suffering also from coronavirus. But um, the economy is still expected to grow around 2% this year. Oh, wow. Um, it's a very export-driven economy. Um, exports account for around 100% of GDP. Now, that's offset by other things. It doesn't mean that that's the only economic activity, but um, it's a massive exporting country. It's overtaken places like Thailand and Malaysia in the last uh, several years or decade. Um, but the reason that despite the fact that global demand is overall slowing, and we, then we have this export-driven country whose economy is growing, the reason that these pieces fit together is because what is Vietnam exporting? Well, a lot of it is Samsung products that people are still buying um, when they're stuck in lockdown. You, you know, you still need the, the latest smartphone. Um, mm. 
listeners in Japan and, and gamers everywhere will probably know that demand for the Nintendo Switch has exploded this year. Again, thanks to so many people being stuck at home and bored. And Nintendo is producing a lot of these uh, Switch consoles in Vietnam. It's probably no coincidence that both Sony and Microsoft have also come out with new consoles exactly now, right? Yeah, well, those are planned for a long time, but they're going to do very well for this reason. Yeah. Very, very well. Okay, so people being stuck at home um, obviously leads me into jobs. So how's the job market been doing? I mean, I know that, say, here in Japan, uh, staff and their salaries are a little bit more insulated and protected than they are in other countries. Uh, so lifetime employment is not as big as it used to be, but it is still a thing. Um, but even here, part-time workers, contract workers, people are getting hit pretty hard. Um, and this whole working from home thing, again, taking off, but quite slow to take off um, here compared with other countries um, for a whole bunch of, of you know, so, sociological and technological reasons that are probably, I guess, more or less unique to Japan. But the general job market here does seem to be taking it relatively well in comparison to other countries, but um, other countries are not doing that well, are they? Yeah, I mean, certainly this has been quite bad for the, the overall job market. Um, it's a tough one, again, to generalize, and I, I didn't pull up country-by-country country statistics, which anyway tend to be lagging unless you go down to kind of news releases that are putting out the latest figures. Of course, you know, in, in sectors like tourism, we're seeing huge numbers of layoffs. Um, Thailand, where I follow closely, has been really hit by this, for example, uh, and not just Thailand, of course. Uh, many companies, hotels, uh, smaller airlines laying off workers, not just small ones either, uh, en masse or even shutting down completely. Um, here in Japan, we've seen big stories coming out, uh, ANA and JAL taking huge losses and laying off as many workers as kind of the, the Japanese system that you refer to will permit. Mm. Um, I, I think without you know searching up country-level numbers and getting into the nitty-gritty, what's maybe more important for trying to understand the broad economic impact of the employment side and sort of demand side dynamics is, is how governments are responding to the crisis and whether they are directly supporting households and workers and businesses at this time, you know, of, of general demand, slowdown and layoffs and all the rest of it. Mm. And are you seeing any major differences in the way they are handling these challenges? The governments, I mean? Yeah, sure. Uh, huge differences, you know, some of which the, the really broad ones will be obvious to everyone, but it's worth pointing out that the governments of Western countries have been, for the most part, much more willing to give substantial handouts and significant direct support to households. Um, even in the U.S., where we, we generally don't like to do this kind of thing. And it's very haphazard in the U.S. Um, some people kind of got lucky with it and others didn't. But there was this big uh, employment, uh, basically handout scheme. And in places like Australia and U.K., it's been much more <laughs> coherent and generous. Yeah. Um, whereas in Asia, there's not much of this. In Japan, that uh, 100,000 yen check went out, right? And there's been a few other limited schemes like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, twenty, thirty thousand uh, dollars max to businesses that can prove that they've been hit hard compared to previous years. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, on the yeah. business side, which is, can, can help a lot, right, for a small business. But it, it really depends on whether they can prove it and 
what sort of revenue they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, other countries like Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, there's been smaller cash handouts to households and a lot of business support schemes that may rely more on loans, um, sometimes soft, so-called soft loans that are at lower interest rates or have other, you know, sort of non-commercially driven benefits subs- subsidized in, yeah. in, in a sense. Um, zooming out a bit, I personally find it interesting how governments are choosing between protecting public health and economic damage caused by lockdowns, closed borders, and other such restrictions. I mean, because it, it is a choice to a certain extent. Mm. Nobody knows how this will play out, but there are countries that have decided to more or less stay open for, for economic reasons, and there are those that have decided to really shut down uh, for health reasons. And in the end, that might prove the better call economically too, but it's interesting the different approaches that are out there. And we've seen countries that aggressively shut borders and lock down internally, like China, Thailand, Vietnam, and, and not just the classic Asia countries. I guess you know, New Zealand and Australia are sort of in Asia, Asia Pacific, yep. but you know, we're Western, but still they're in this group. They've shut down hard and they've really limited the damage, the health damage done by the virus. Um, and that does seem to be to have been the right call uh, versus what we see in US and Europe. But economically, you know, this is doing perhaps irreparable damage to businesses in some sectors, especially tourism, and especially in countries like Thailand, uh, New Zealand, also very tourism-driven, you know, compared to the size of the population. Yeah. And Japan is in this interesting in-between case. Uh, the numbers are still low, but it's it's still really weighing on the, the national sentiment. Uh, my wife's been turning on the TV here every day, and, you know, all you hear is coronavirus, even though the U.S. or Europe would would do anything to have levels even five times what we see in Japan, at least in terms of actual tests reported. Yeah. Um, but by clamping down for by by not clamping down for several weeks uh, to try to eliminate the virus, you know, the country really still suffers this sort of slow drip of economic damage from you know, how this weighs on consumer confidence and the, the prolonged fear and uncertainty surrounding the risk of a bigger outbreak which could still happen. Mm. And and then how about, um, so global business have obviously suffered, and that sort of translates into investments too, doesn't it? I mean, whether domestic and foreign or, or foreign investments, say us from our narrow perspective, local real estate property market. So we're seeing price drops, definitely a buyer's market at the moment, or at least much softer pricing um, in places that were hit the hardest. So Tokyo, Osaka, Nagoya, a few other spots. Um, obviously, hospitality properties, all over the place, not doing well at all. Um, but how are other investment sectors doing around the region? Um, are people or institutions investing at all? And if so, have they shifted from one type of investment to another? Right. A, a tough one to, I, I keep saying this, but it's a tough, tough one to generalize broadly. But definitely large companies are still making big investments that they had already planned out or that uh, are in sectors or activities that haven't been too adversely hit by this, or they're just companies that are confident, are active, are you know, just going to ride this out. Um, cases like we were talking about earlier with products that are still in high demand, uh, game consoles, smartphones, if companies have, 
broadly speaking, if companies have planned this kind of an expansion, you know, let's say another Samsung product or uh, Nintendo continues or, or what have you, you know, to <clears throat> set up new production or expand production in a case in a place like Vietnam, they're probably going to move ahead with that, right? The coronavirus hasn't hasn't impacted this, but if you're looking at tourism, if you're looking at maybe slower growing businesses or just companies that are more cautious, they're they're probably more likely to sit on their funds for now, um, um, you know, to, to paint very broad strokes. And then, leaving all this aside, you have this crazy bull market in equities continuing. So, you know, where's the money going? I mean, the short answer is it's going to the, the U.S. Why? I, I don't know, to be honest. Is Tesla really worth this much? <laughs> um, and this is despite, or maybe because of, Trump's loss. Um, Wall Street might have liked Trump, uh, or at least before the coronavirus, but really what Wall Street and what investors, generally speaking, want is certainty. So we know the election outcome. Uh, the market hasn't tanked yet. Um, I, I'm personally kind of a stock market skeptic, but I definitely wish I had bought into the, this rally a few months ago. Yeah. Um, all of which is to say, yeah, the m- money is still moving. Investors are still investing. Um, and I think it's uh, interesting for our markets, too, to point out that the dollar and yen, which are both normally safe haven currencies, haven't seen any huge jumps in value, at least not like what happened in 2008, 2009, during the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And the, the yen has done well this year, but this indicates you know, that we haven't really moved away yet from a kind of a risk on confidence in emerging markets and in equities. Uh, and this could all change tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. but uh, especially in 2020. But I, it still seems that investors are willing to invest you know, this year. So the global economy hasn't, hasn't dried up, but things are definitely looking differently. Um, you mentioned property, and that's, of course, very market-specific, but I, for one, am still uh, looking at property in Japan, and, and I'm interested by the softer pricing that we are seeing right now and maybe you know, thinking about scooping up a deal. Well, it's the best time that I've seen in the last five, six years. Our, our customers mm. are having a field day. Um, I wonder what's happening with gold. Have you looked at that at all? I haven't even followed that. Uh, not closely. I just know that, uh, I, I, I don't know why, but Google or Twitter algorithms turned up this Bitcoin news for me. I'm not a Bitcoin fan, really, but that Bitcoin has sort of diverged from gold. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and, yeah, Bitcoin's taking off. Gold has slowed down. I know it's slowed down, but I don't really know what... I couldn't speak to the, the longer term or the medium... I mean, the going forward, the outlook for it, but the gold rally it seems to have ended. Okay, well, they're both too rich for my blood. I'm just curious. <laughs> okay, <Exactly>. so <laughs> like we were saying a few months ago... Um, Still pretty much uncharted waters just in the way that things are progressing. We didn't know how, how they're going to pan out exactly, but we could guess that it's probably not going to be just a small hiccup economically for any country. And we were at least right about that. But I guess that's probably still where we stand, right? Do you think there's any more clarity now? Uh, maybe with the vaccine, uh, global readjustment, um, shift of funds, you said, to the USA. I mean, I know that... Um, in Japan, at least, there's a silver lining. You know, remote work is, is really becoming a real thing in a lot of sectors again. So people, companies waking up to the potential of working from home. And that's, um, that's also driving a really very late but very, very needed and very welcome uh, digitization trend. So we're seeing more and more companies and government offices 
ditching the paperwork and the traditional uh, hankos, the stamp and the seals. Um, any, any major shifts, readjustments like that that you're seeing any, anywhere else? Is anything changing? Is there like a new normal forming anywhere to any significant degree? Things definitely seem to be going in that direction. I mean, certainly uh, more so in Western countries, but, but not exclusively. Um, and this is really just me following, you know, following the corporate news and seeing announcements. I don't have any special inside info here other than from perhaps my own job searching. <laughs> mm. um, but, you know, we've definitely seen a lot of large companies, especially in tech leading companies, uh, announce broader and sometimes permanent work-from-home policies, at least for some employees, Google, Microsoft, American Express, a whole long list of companies that haven't necessarily opened it up for every single employee to work from home. Of course, that's, that's not even possible, but moved, taken big steps in this direction. And as I said, in some cases, permanent ones that at least they've set policies. Well, of course, they can change it, but policies to allow certain employees, yeah, to just keep working from home forever and to, hi to hire new employees into that kind of a work uh, arrangement, too. Mm. Um, definitely, uh, Japanese companies, we all know, are more conservative, um, and probably we can say that Asia-wide, that's, that's the case, um, broadly speaking. But definitely a lot of news about temporary, at least temporary work, uh, remote work policies during COVID-19 coming up in Japan and, and elsewhere. And it's hard to imagine that this won't lead to a certain amount of change in this area, even if it isn't like what we're seeing in the, the Western, Western countries with these big companies, tech especially. Um, the government too here in Japan are very conservative and uh, not always effective in such policies. But I recently saw news that there'll be new subsidies uh, next year for Tokyo-based workers who move to rural areas to work remotely. Uh, there's been a lot of move to the countryside subsidies here, but in this case, they're specifically targeting company, well, yeah, companies and employees who will keep their Tokyo-based jobs and just go live in a rural place. Uh, so that's new and, and innovative, at least by the standards of Japanese government. Definitely. In fact, I, I wonder if I can get a piece of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, Tokyo is losing about 10,000 people a month these days, so it's definitely a happening trend. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I guess uh, perhaps in, in closing, <clears throat> it's just worth reiterating that you know, step, stepping away from the immediate health and travel-related impacts of COVID-19, we also have really no idea still how badly the global economy will slow and for how long. Um, Especially, you know, as we discussed earlier, with things now getting worse in the U.S. and Europe. Although, hopefully, one of these vaccines will come in and save us, and we'll actually be able to travel again. <laughs> that one I'm looking forward to. But yeah, it's um, it's like that Chinese curse, you know. I I think it's Chinese. It might be just an urban myth, but uh, supposedly there's a well-known Chinese curse. Um, if you really don't like someone, you tell them, oh, "Well, I hope you live in interesting times," you know. So these mm -hmm. are definitely interesting times we're living in and like you i do hope we'll emerge better for it um, on the other side but obviously it's going to take a little while longer okay well meanwhile at least japan's going to be uh, getting at least one bonus which is you moving here that's a nice little extra silver lining for us too so good to have you here on a more uh, permanent basis dan and great as always to have you on the show again thank you very much for your time today 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. And yeah, great to be back. And congratulations once again. <laughs> thanks. There you go. And a big thank you to all of our listeners, too. Great having you with us today. Glad you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, don't be shy. Share it with your own personal networks if you think they may find it interesting. And if you could take a moment of your time, we would love if, if you could let us know what you think about this content in the comments section or wherever you might have found us. And of course, via a short review or even just a star rating on the iTunes store, Spotify, wherever it is you're tuning in from. As mentioned, we'll also link to Dan's LinkedIn profile in this episode's show notes. So if you've got any questions for him or would like to hire his services for any research, writing, editing project, you really can't go wrong with this guy. So that's it from us for today, folks. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we'd just like to wish you a great day or night ahead, wherever in the world you might be. Yoshiku! Yoshiku!